Today's <clears throat> passage comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. So that's Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may <clears throat> see your good work and give glory to your Father who is in, the, in, who is in heaven. This is the word of God. This is the final week of this Beacon of Life series. We have been looking at this passage every week, but through the lens of other verses. How do you, will you be light in a dark place? How will we be the difference between life and death? As many of you have heard me say, uh, it's great to find out that your wife listens to your sermons, <laughs> uh, quoting um, what has been preached. Um, that salt in the ancient world is the difference between life and death. It's nice that, you know, the meat doesn't taste bland. Um, but what's even better is the meat isn't rotten because that's what salt did back then. Um, you're going to make it through the winter because there's salt. Well, you know, this place we live in, um, I know it always feels like summer, but spiritually it's often winter. You get it? And if there's not enough salty salt here, the people will die. <laughs> so what is a church for? It's, it sure as heck's not for like a bunch of nice people to get together who believe in the Ten Commandments so they can practice their religion and have a nice club. It is so that people going through the winter will not die. <laughs> That's part of why God wants a church. That's why he wants this church. How do we do that? I'm going to want to give us a little brief recap, and then I want to talk about one more way that revived church will be salty. And it's a, it's a doozy. All these ways are part of a kingdom of God, and they're all little nuts. They're a lot nuts. It seems nuts, because the, this kingdom is nothing like this kingdoms of the world. They're upside down. And so Jesus says these kinds of things, and and we've, and we've covered some of, we need every single one of the beatitude blessings. But this is from, again, slightly before this passage. Um, Matthew chapter 5, starting from verse 3. Jesus read words like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That was the first one we talked about. What kind of a church will we be? Not prideful in spirit. Not superior in spirit. Not we have the right religion and you're wrong. Although that's true. <laughs> that's not our spirit. We will be poor in spirit. And then that way, then people can, it's in their poverty, people will find out that we have the kingdom of heaven, right? We talked about, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Um, I hope on any given Sunday, if you're feeling really, really low, really, really depressed, maybe even suicidal, you will come here. You will want to come here. And you might sit back there or here, and all you'll do is just cry. You might just cry, 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 and everyone else will say, we're the people who mourn. We are blessed to mourn before God. That's the kind of church we need to be. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. You can hunger and thirst for riches. You can hunger and thirst for success. It doesn't say you'll be satisfied. But the promise is, if you will hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice, oh, you'll be satisfied. Will we be that kind of a church, that kind of a people? Blessed are the merciful. Why? They're going to receive mercy. I hope you know you need mercy. Every day you need mercy. But will you, if you know you need mercy, 
Will you give mercy? Will you be merciful? Will we be a church that's merciful? Blessed are the peacemakers. Like I said, blessed are the shalom makers. Those who help people thrive. Those who help become flourishing. Those who help fill up our lack and make our cups overflow. For they shall be called what? Sons of God. We will be called sons of God. We're not going to be called the successful people or the rich people or the smart people or the people with cool clothes. We'll be called sons of God. Today, I want to talk about, um, I've actually never heard anybody preach this. I'm prepping this message. I was thinking about all the sermons I've ever heard on this message. I was thinking about every sermon I ever gave on this message. It was really easy because every sermon I ever gave on this message was zero. Every sermon I ever remembered on this way of being salty, I can't remember any. Man, it's a crazy one, though, but so important for our time. So, so important. So here are the words that today's message of how to be salty is going to be based on, and this will conclude our series before we go to the retreat and then go to another way that, you know, a whole new um, series of how we're going to prepare ourselves to be a new church. And here are the words. This is verse 10, chapter 5, verse 10. This is, this is what Jesus said. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It goes on. Blessed are you when others revile you. That's a strong word. I'll tell you what that means in just a second if you don't know. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. That's crazy talk. Everybody hates you. They want to do harm to you. You should be happy about that. <laughs> Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. In heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I don't usually do this, but let's pray. <laughs> because that's the passage we're going to talk about. Let's pray. Um, normally, Lord, I'm usually glad to let those who have already prayed before, and then we can, we can start, just get right into the message, but I just feel the need to pray. Um, I don't think I'm good enough to, see, to explain these words, and so you take these faltering lips and let, let this jackass talk, but will you really speak, and will we hear you? true and living God. So we could actually do this. We can actually live like this. Who can live like this? I don't know how to live like this. I sure as can. It will take a miracle. It will take divine, supernatural power, your power. For any one person to be like this, let alone a whole community called the church, will revive church, be rejoicing and glad when we are persecuted for righteousness sake, when we are hated for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Part one, a reviled minority. Part one, a reviled minority. Part two, joyfully love your enemies. That's the, that's the action plan. That's the assignment for the rest of your life, okay? Not for tomorrow. For the rest of your life. Joyfully love your enemies. And part three, from enemies to sons and daughters. From enemies to sons and daughters. Let's start with part one. So here's how Jesus puts it. Uh, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. This is, and uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay. I want to just say a little something for at the moment. Um. We have no idea what persecution is in this country. So, but I think we're going to start to find out. Now, we have some kinds of persecution in America, and 
they're pretty low-grade persecution. I'm not even sure we can call it persecution. I mean, we have um, brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. If you believe in Jesus, they will lock up your kids and murder your parents and go after your pastor. I mean, it's just like, that's just a normal thing that they deal with when they wake up. And then the next day, the next day. That's persecution. I'm not even sure if we can say we're persecuted, okay? But we, we, we do get brushed back. We get some, people don't like it that we actually believe in Jesus and we take the words of Scripture very seriously and live according to them. That's real. And if you live in Silicon Valley and you identify as a follower of Jesus, I'm sure you already know that, right? I don't have to tell that to you. But I want to emphasize a couple things. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. I want to say a little something here. There are a lot of people who identify as Christians. And a lot of non-Christians hate them. Because, well, because they act like jerks. <laughs> because, like, we're Christian. We got the truth. You don't. We got good behavior. You don't. We are clean people. You are dirty people. Eh. Okay? We vote for the right people. You vote for the wrong people. We're better than you. That's the attitude in our country. And then the non-Christians hate them and want to persecute them. Let me tell you something. If you act like that as a Christian, that is not being persecuted for righteousness' sake. <laughs> you hearing what I'm saying? That is being persecuted for self-righteousness' sake, and that is not blessed. I do not think Jesus blesses being persecuted for self-righteousness' sake. If you're a real self-righteous jerk, you deserve other people to dislike you. <laughs> Everybody doesn't like self-righteous people. So it doesn't matter if you're Christian, you get the right religion. Yes, we do have the right religion, but being right in that kind of way, that's not real righteousness. If that's the way we're going to be, then, then we deserve it. <laughs> that's what I think. Because we're being not really human according to the divine word of God. We're just being jerkwads. Just because we're Christian jerkwads doesn't make us better kind of jerkwads. We're just jerks. Okay? We're superior. We're self-righteous. And you know, we're always in danger of this. So if you believe in, do not believe in Jesus, and you're not sure you believe in, or you're not sure you believe in Jesus, or you have been wounded by the church, or you Christians have treated you really, really badly, and you're not sure that you could ever believe in Jesus, I want to just say something to you if you're listening to this message right now. We're sorry. I'm sorry. Jesus mourns that his own people are not righteous in his way, the real righteousness. God's righteousness, not man's righteousness. So like we become Christians and then we choose legalistic self-righteousness and call it Christian. That's not really actually Christian. Real Christian righteousness flows out of the cross. His righteousness covered over our horrible righteousness, a real righteousness from God. That's the first thing I want to say. And so brothers and sisters, will you join me when you meet a person who has been wounded by the church and they're all around. They're all around. You're going to meet a person, and they hate Christians. They hate Jesus. They hate the Bible. They hate. Okay, that's bad. Why don't you just ask them why? Ask them why. And if you ask them why, they're going to tell you a story. <laughs> they'll tell you a story. It's like almost like nine, 99 times out of 100. They'll tell you a story. And once you hear this story, they're like, I went to church. And, uh, you know, my dad beat my mom. And so my mom left my dad. And then my parents got divorced. And everybody looked at my mom like she was bad because she got divorced. And then you're going to sit there and go, whoa. I, I see why you hate the church. You're going to hear these kinds of stories. Just ask. And don't react. Don't react first. Just ask and be a human being. Don't be a Christian. I'm a Christian. You're not. Well, I've got to be careful around you. Be a human being. Be a real Christian. Be a son of God. And ask, why do you hate 
Jesus? Or why are you so suspicious? And they'll tell you a story. And then you could say, I'm sorry. You could weep with them. And they're all around our neighbors. That's the first thing I want to say. Then he says this. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. If they utter things about you and they're not false, then, well, then, you know, you're not going to be blessed because if they say you're a bad person and you're a jerk, then that's, then, then, come on. How can you be blessed? How can you be blessed for people saying bad things about you when they're true? <laughs> but if we will be really followers of Jesus and be humble and repentant, and then they say bad things about us, which is going to happen. It's going to happen. Absolutely, it's going to happen. You're blessed. Now, let's, let's talk a little about this word, uh, revile. Anybody know what this word means? You don't have to raise your hand, but just, yes. You? No? Yes? Okay, so I, I looked it up just to, be, just to make sure, okay? I looked it up. Here are the definitions I got. <clears throat> to criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. To be criticized in an abusive and angrily insulting manner. Here's another definition. This is dictionary.com. To assail with contemptuous or opprobrious language. I said, what does opprobrious mean? <laughs> And then I looked that up, okay? It means like they really hate you. That's what it means. Opprobrious means they despise you, okay? Um, I'll give you um, just my basic definition. When you are reviled, when you are reviled, basically means to be hated strongly and being looked down upon. And then they say it. <laughs> so, so, brothers and sisters, this is just really a great word, isn't it? Jesus, Paul, John, no, Jesus said this, okay? This is the top, top authority, okay? Susan didn't say this. Jesus said this. Blessed are you when others revile you because of me. That's what he's saying. Let's just talk about this um, issue, um, this is not a secret. Now, I want to say something about this. I'm not sure where you think about, you know, kind of where America is. There's this thing called the culture war. You heard about this thing called the culture war? Um, it's actually a Christian uh, sociologist came up with that terminology, right? But um, culture war is that there is a war of values in America. <laughs> so some people have certain kinds of values, and these values clash against other kinds of values. And then these people don't like each other. They, of course, like if, you know, their values are totally op opposed to your values and your values are totally opposed to their values, you're not going to like them. I mean, just, just think about it in a, in a, in a, in a like, parents. Your values are your kids come home and do their homework and don't do any drugs and get straight A's and then go to good schools. Probably, I don't know if all of you have those values, but probably a lot of you have those values. So then you meet some other parents. Their values are, we don't care what happens to my kids, and we're just going to smoke dope in the backyard all the time, and I think it's fine that the kids see that. You want to hang out? You want your kids hanging out with those kids? Probably not. The values don't really match up. And... Guess what happens? All the righteousness is going to rise. It's all this righteousness. You're, what kind of a, you know, they're going to be like, what kind of an uptight, bourgeois, like goody two-shoes are you? And what kind of a chaotic, like addict are you? And it's all, and my kids are at stake here. And anyway, it's just an example. And then just multiply this with 325 million people. And that's what we call culture war. Let me say something. In America, those people who identify as Bible-believing Christians, we've lost this culture war, at least for the time being. We lost it, okay? Let's just understand what's happened here. I don't know. Maybe there's some parts of the country you can go to, and you still can feel like you're like, no, we haven't lost. We can still beat the other side, right? These immoral people over there, we can go beat them. But over here where we live, it's, it's over, okay? I mean, it's over. 
We're on the losing side. It's, I mean, I hope you just understand that. It's absolutely, to me, it's just obvious as day all the time. And so the people in the majority, they have all these levers of power, the schools, the news, uh, the bylaws in your company, right? They have all these levers of power. And if they think you are one of these bad people that has the wrong values, and that's us, by the way, that's, that's us. <laughs> yeah, they, they will find, if they find out about you, you know, you, you come out of the closet, <laughs> you'll be reviled <laughs> in one way or another. And none of you kind of know this already. Let me tell you a story. Um, so this is actually, asked, I asked his permission. This is my son. So my son Hudson, many of you know him. So he wrote an essay for college. Really gutsy essay. You know, yeah, you have to write all these different essays to apply to college. And then he said, this is the one I shipped this one. And then I read this essay and I was like, whoa. <laughs> so this is what he shared. He shared something like this. It was about when... Your values clash with other people's values, and how, how did you deal with it? From a college's point of view, that's a really good question to ask somebody who wants to apply into their community because they know it's a pluralistic community in the college, and they want to find out, do you understand what our, what our values of tolerance are so that even though we're very different from very different places, different races, religions, yes, you know, like sexuality, all these differences, that you can get along? That's the question. Well, Hudson, I mean, he did not chicken out. He decided to answer this question. This is how he answered the question. When I was in ninth grade, they taught in my biology class about homosexuality. And after I heard this teaching, I said, oh my goodness, I'm a Christian. I don't agree with what they're teaching about gay rights. So then after that teaching, this is ninth grade biology. <laughs> so then he turns to his friend. Hey, can I talk to you about this? This is really hard for me. Because what is being taught goes against my faith. This is really hard for me. She goes, okay. And this is a friend. You know, she, you know he, he, we, we live in Cupertino. So, you know, there's lots of like Asian people. His friend is Chinese. She's this girl, Chinese. And he's known her since elementary school. This is ninth grade. He's known her since elementary school. As soon as he told her that I'm a Christian and this, you know, my views about sexuality, I can't agree with what they taught in ninth grade biology. She just went, can't be friends. Just like that. Friendship over. Boom. We're not talking about you're 25 years old working for Google or like 40 years old or talking to somebody at city council or something like that. I'm talking to a 14-year-old kid after ninth grade biology class. Friendship over, boom. You know, it's actually even more interesting than that. Then he went on in the essay and he shared a, an even more interesting portion. I told another friend. She was actually Korean-American. She self-identifies as bisexual. That's why she goes, I'm bisexual. And he said, well, you know, I think this goes against my Christian faith. She actually sees herself, you know, as a, as, a, as a person who wants to be with Jesus. And that friendship didn't end. They're still friends today. Okay. Is this like a relevant message, guys? I, I mean, I'm looking around the room. I'm, nobody's not paying attention, okay? You all paying attention. This is real. How are we going to be a church when our side of the culture war has lost? But let me tell you something. Who cares who won the culture war? Because that's about politics and about fighting and power. You can lose in power in the world, but nobody can defeat the power of the cross. And you can be in the bottom, bottom, bottom of society. But we follow Jesus. You can be in the bottom of a prison. And they hate your guts. And they told you you're nothing. So obviously you lost in the culture. 
But that doesn't mean you actually lose. The kingdom doesn't lose, right? How do we deal with it? They have reviled us. They're trying to harm us. Well, we take it. We take it. And then we do something really, really weird. We rejoice. That's the kind of church I hope we will be. Revive church. You want to be a beacon of light? You want to be salty in this place? The difference between life and death in this city. We have to learn what it means that we are a reviled minority. And even though we have lost the culture war, who cares? Really, who cares? We are far from losing the spiritual war. And as a church, we are going to be salty. Salty. So salty. Okay? Are you with me? Let's go to part two. Okay, how will we be salty? How to do it? Okay, here it is. It's the way Jesus put it. So I want to give you two words from Jesus. And uh, the first one we is rejoice and be glad. <laughs> rejoice and be glad. Okay, you're like, that's, that's crazy talk. <laughs> that is complete insanity. How the heck are you supposed to do that? So I pray at lunch, at my job, at Apple, or at Facebook. And then they're like, oh, but my VP is gay. And he walks back and goes, whoa, one of those. And then, pastor, come on. The next time they do layoffs, they'll probably put me on that list. And we're trying to buy a house. I'm going to buy this house. And they put me on that layoff list because I'm a Christian and they're going to target me. And then, we're not going to make mortgage. Come on, pastor. And then after that, oh yeah, you want me to remember this verse? And be happy about it? Rejoice. I'm going to get foreclosed on. My, I got to pull my kids out of like piano lesson. Because I came out of the closet. Because we were reviled. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. <laughs> when this happens, when this happens... Brothers and sisters, this is going to happen. Maybe to you. Hopefully not to you. We will pray really, really hard. It does not happen to you. Someone in this church, it's going to happen to. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You all know it's going to happen. Okay? There's only two choices here. We'll stay in the closet. Or we'll come out of the closet. And then hopefully, somehow God will protect me and then, like, I won't lose my job. And, like, people won't say, like, ugly, mean things to me at work. Or maybe I'm going to get axed. They'll say ugly, mean things to me. People grow and say he's one of those Jesus freaks. And then they'll put my name on the layoff list. Or as soon as, like, then I'm, like my boss starts getting kind of mean to me, like, completely, like, irrationally for, like, no good reason. I'm like, is this because I'm a Christian? Oh, gosh. And I get stressed out every time I go to work. And then... Lose my job, lose my house, terrible. And then, rejoice. Jesus gives two reasons. Not Susan, okay? Not Susan. Jesus. Jesus gives two reasons. And let's talk a little about those two reasons. Number one, for your reward is great in heaven. Your reward is great in heaven. I'll just stop for a moment here. That's the answer? <laughs> but my kids are going to be poor now. Okay. I don't usually say this because it's kind of mean. Okay. But let, let me be a little, let me be a little bit of a tough dad. Okay. Can you please stop feeling so sorry for yourself when that happens to you? Our brothers and sisters are dying. There's people dying. There's people getting tortured. 
I mean, they're persecuted. <laughs> we just lost our job. I mean, like, that's terrible. It's really, it's really unjust. I mean, it says, according to the law, you should not discriminate according to religion. The company even says, we do not discriminate according to religion. And then they just broke the law, broke their, broke their, uh, their, their, their standard, and then they just did this to you. It's horrible. Yes, horrible. Okay? But come on. Our brothers and sisters are getting tortured. They're killing, our, they're killing their kids. That's persecution. We can risk our jobs for Jesus. If you believe that your riches on earth, great is your reward in heaven. That's, oh gosh, come on. You're, you're so corrupted. You're so secular and you're so corrupted. You only care about your riches and your comfort on earth. If you really only care about your riches and comfort on earth, you're already secular. You're practically like an unbeliever. If that's all you care about, your heart is so sick, you need serious, serious help. You should get down on your knees and say, please, I'm so cancerously corrupt in, my, in what I love in my heart. Jesus, help me because I deserve to die. Because that's really, we're really so horrible. How are we going to help our neighbors? Because that's all they care about is their riches and comfort on earth. If that's all we care about, Come on, we can't ever be this kind of church. We're not salty. You know what Jesus said about not salty? It deserves to be thrown away. It's worthless. We cannot help save other people's lives if we are worthless salt, because we're not actually salt. This is really important. You must long for a great reward in heaven. It must be bigger than your rewards on earth. Your rewards on earth must be small. Your reward in heaven must be big. And if you don't know how to think like that or feel like that, and I have to admit to you, I'm not that good at it either. Okay, but maybe, you know, I'm just slightly better than you, so that's why I get to be the pastor. I'm like really, really bad. So then God said, well, that, that's, he, he's the least bad schmuck there is in Silicon Valley, so let's make him the pastor. That's kind of how I feel about it. Because I'm not good at this either. But I know the truth which is this, this has to be our hope. Please, please, it has to be our hope. Must be, it absolutely must be. And then here's the second part. For, is the second reason why we have to rejoice. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let me ask you something. When people meet you, how do you want to be perceived? How do you want to be perceived as he's like these people or he's like these people? She's like these people or she's like these people? I, 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 I'm not really good at this, but I've, I've kind of made a decision in my heart that I want to be like the people that God said, these are mine. <laughs> these are the people that are my people. They died for me. They were hated for me. And the best in the Old Testament were the prophets. So if people say, this guy's like one of those people, I'm like, I'm on the right team. That's the right identity. That's the right aroma. That's the right way. If they say, this guy, well, this guy, he's kind of like, well, just like everybody else, because, you know, everybody else is sort of like, all they care about is their money, and then they are afraid of all the, the powers that be, and, and, you know, like, if everybody hates them, then they feel really bad about themselves, and then if everybody likes them, I feel good about myself. I don't want to be on that team. It's really, really hard and really, really weird. But can you be for, be for God and then look at all the people that uh, he really, really thinks is special and wonderful and you want to be on that team? And if they revile you because of Jesus, you're on that team. <laughs> That's crazy. So you should be happy. You should actually kind of want it. Like, and I know that's kind of crazy. So please don't go around and be obnoxious at work. Okay, but it shouldn't be a bad thing. Okay? Those are two reasons that Jesus gives. Let's go to one more thing of how we're supposed to be. So first, rejoice. Joy. <laughs> That's insane, but I know. But it's insane only in a gospel insanity kind of way. I hope all of you want to be gospel insane. I want to be eternally gospelly insane. 
to the world will be completely nuts. But to eternity, we're totally sane. <laughs> right? Because they're nuts, actually. All right. Here's the other one. This is just a little bit later in the chapter. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. So I want to go through this, and then we'll go to part three of the message, and then let's worship, okay? Here's what Jesus says. Chapter 5, verse 8. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words, if they do bad things to you, you get them back, okay? But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Wow. Do not resist the one who is evil. Now, I know our non-Christian neighbors, if they were, like, are bad to us on, on whatever, for being a Christian. And by the way, sexuality is not the only thing that, that offends, you know, I mean, it, it isn't. It's, it's, it's just one, it's just, I'm just giving like one of the most obvious ones. Um, they don't like it when we say Jesus is the only way to heaven. They don't like that one. <laughs> you know that. Like that one is like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Bible is the only real true book, you know, the word of God, your, your book. That's false. Sorry. I mean, we don't go around saying that, but that's what we think. That's, they, they hate that too. Right? There's lots, there's lots of ways that we offend our neighbors. Okay? But, and then they hate us for it. They don't think they're doing evil. They actually are doing evil. They are doing evil. But Jesus says, don't resist them. Wow. But, but, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, well, let him slap you on the other one too. <laughs> if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. I think the tunic is sort of like the inner cloth. Well, then you can give the outer one too. And if anyone forced you to go one mile, go with them too. Pretty insane. Jesus, you're whacked. <laughs> Thanks for this great commands, right? Oh, it gets worse. And so let's go on. Let's jump to verse 43. Just for take a time, I want to just like fast forward to verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You want to know how to be sons of your Father who is in heaven? What it looks like? What the behavior is like? Find the people your enemy and love them. When they hate you, revile you, and persecute you because of Jesus, for righteousness' sake, not for unrighteousness' sake, not for self-righteousness' sake, because of Jesus, love them. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and, and, and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? If you only love the people who love you, there's not really much reward in heaven. And I, I, I just talked about it. I hope you really want reward in heaven. What reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Let me, okay, let me tell you. Okay, let me, let, me, let me use 21st century lingo. Do not even the scum of the scum of the scum, because that's pretty much how they thought a tax collector. Do not even the most disgusting scum love those who love them? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles, do not even the, the nations that don't even know what the true God is and have all kinds of gross and ridiculously bad practices, don't they even love the people that love them? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Words of Jesus. Um, perfect, I know that sounds a little too, like, perfect. Okay, okay. You, therefore, must be complete and whole like your father. That's the command. So, we will rejoice. Super hard, probably impossible. And then we're going to love the person who just screwed our lives over. <laughs> wow. Okay.
Now let's get to part three. From enemies to sons and daughters. How can you actually do this? How can it actually be possible? It is possible. Okay, it is possible. But it is really hard. I'm not, you know, obviously I think I don't have to convince you it's really hard. So, love those who hate us. So, I'm just going to read what I wrote here so that I don't extend the sermon longer than necessary, okay? Right? Pastor, are you kidding? Are you crazy? That's how you expect us to act and live? Are you being for real, Pastor? Susan, come on. Yes. I mean real. God is being real. This isn't like, I just, just threw this in here so we could ignore it. Uh, that's, that's probably why it's in here. So we can ignore it and think it's crazy. And then let's just get on with our lives and being like decent people. I don't think that's why it's in here. So let me read this. Before we came to God through Jesus Christ, we were his enemies. That's real. Yes, you and I hated Jesus. Maybe you didn't emotionally hate Jesus, but the source of so much of reviling is in those of us who have values and expectations, especially moral expectations. Whatever you consider bad or beneath you, you will revile. You will. Everybody's like, okay, like God hates things that are truly evil. We're made in his image. We see something truly evil and we're like, that's gross. We will hate it. Except that's twisted and screwed up in us. So then we actually like revile people according to our righteousness, more like the devil than like God. That's actually very, very normal. So what we think we have a right to in the place in which we're, we're so very right and that is so wrong and that's why we revile it. So that's where persecution comes from. Everybody persecutes not just like, well, that's okay, whatever. I just kind of dis- no, they don't just, they don't, you, nobody gets up to persecute that which they kind of disagree with. They persecute things that really, really offend their righteousness. So you know what's really wrong? Our, what's really wrong? Our neighbors, and maybe you and me, what we don't know is what's wrong in us is our righteousness. That's what's really screwed up in us. Our righteousness is really screwed up. Our values are really screwed up. It's actually our righteousness which makes us more sinful. This is why you can't just become a better or a more good person. That's how you're going to get to heaven. That's never going to work. You're just going to become a more good person and you're going to become a more self-righteous person and then you're going to earn damnation even better. Even if you do it in the name of Jesus Wow. True. All of it's true. So we resent not only that God expects us to be good, but the biggest enemies of God are those who already think that they are good. Those are the biggest enemies of God. You know what? That's probably everybody in this room. At one point or another, you thought you were a good, nice, decent person. And when the preacher told you, you ain't, (laughs) you didn't like that preacher. But really, you just, you're just hating the messenger. The one who's really telling you that is God, and you hate him. That's the real truth. So deep down, we pretty much all hate God. <laughs> and we're his enemies. Except that he came to heal us of this horrible sin, sickness of righteousness, of righteousness. Well, let's put that in quotes. Righteousness which has infected us with pride and self-righteousness. Redemption needed a far deeper answer than (laughs) self-improvement. Self-improvement is never going to make you to heaven. You're you're earning your way to hell, okay? You're going to improve yourself, improve yourself, improve yourself. I'm such a good person. Why can't you improve yourself? There you go. See self-righteousness? I improved myself, and now I'm cleaned up, and you're still, you know, like a dirt bag. That's why I'm better than you. And then that's why you're going to go to hell. That's all you got. You're going to stand before a holy God 
and you're going to see him for the first time. You're going to really see holiness and understand what it is. And you're going to show up with self-righteousness. And you're going to go, oh my goodness. When I get up before Jesus, he's going to send me to hell. And you're going to know absolutely that I deserve it. Because all we got is self-righteousness. Oh my goodness. Except at that point, we probably won't hate God. We're just going to be afraid of him. And by that point, we're going to, well, maybe we'll still hate him and then we're afraid of him and then he's going to send us to hell <laughs> that we will know you deserve it. So, someone had to die the death we deserve to die so that our sins and our righteousness, which affects our self-righteousness, that could finally die. And we needed a new life and a new heart and a new outlook in which we finally see ourselves for who we actually are. Such horrible little louses that we really actually deserve damnation. You actually deserve this. Not for your sins, but for your righteousness. Someone, this is how someone had to redeem us. And there is a someone. If that's the kind of redemption that you needed, you're going, I guess I'm just going to go to hell. Might as well just live like in a wicked way because I'm just going to go to hell. But there is a someone. And you know who he is. His name is Jesus. I want to share with you the words of some of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite worship songs. It's Jesus, Thank You by Sovereign Grace. And here are the words. The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend. The agonies of Calvary. You, the perfect Holy One, crushed your son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me your blood has washed away my sin which is basically our righteousness Jesus thank you the father's wrath is completely satisfied because we deserve that wrath but now the wrath is satisfied there'll be no wrath for us Jesus thank you and here's the line once your enemy now seated at your table Jesus, what can we say but thank you? It goes on. By your perfect sacrifice, I've been brought near. Your enemy, you've made your friend. Pouring out the riches of your glorious grace, your mercy and your kindness knows no end. I'll tell you a little story and then I'll stop. Um, I grew up with devout Christian parents. I've seen their many, many legalistic hypocrisies. <laughs> if you grow up with devout Christian parents, kids, my own kids, <laughs> okay, you will see your mom and dad's legalistic hypocrisies. If you've been a Christian for more than, I don't know, about two years, we need to repent of our righteousness. And sometimes when I think about my parents, I'm like, oh gosh, okay. they, are they Christians or are they Pharisees? I thought that about my mom and dad sometimes. <laughs> it's hard not to, to think that. So many years ago, um, we, we go to church in Philadelphia. My parents come visit us. And uh, this is what the church is like. It's like about 500 people. It's lower middle class white. It's like 95% white, maybe 98% white, okay? And so, you know, you see a few Asians here and a couple of black people there and then like white people, right? And they're relatively poor white people than I'm used to fellowshipping with. But they're my brothers and sisters at church. And we sang this song. Once you're in me, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. My mom, she's a Presbyterian Presbyterians don't like, yeah, Jesus. You know, like, I mean, they're not really, you know, like, you know, Korean Presbyterians. They're like, this is how my, when my mom gets really intense, she goes like this. She's like praying and like, her hand, and her, she starts like pounding her, her knee. And I'm like, you're praying, mom, okay? Okay, and, um, and that, I was standing right next to her. Once your enemy, when she, when she, she sang that line, once your enemy, now, seated at the table, her hands just went up, and she just started weeping. 
And I looked at my mom and says, you're a real Christian, mom. And I started weeping. I'll never forget that moment. Revive church is the kind of church we need to be. Not Pharisees. Sons and daughters. Like the son who came to the earth. We hated him. We were his enemy. And then he joyfully loved us and served us and won us. Will we do that for our neighbors? Let's pray. Lord, um, if your spirit doesn't make this word really sprout in our hearts, we can't be this people. I pray that everybody who hears this message today would say, I want a great reward in heaven. In heaven! And I want to be called the son and daughter of God. And I want to be like Jesus in this way. And if tomorrow bad things happen for me because some people hate me because of Jesus, help me to rejoice and return love for hatred because that's how you did it for us, Jesus. That's what you did for us. We love you. We love you so much. We thank you. That's, well, can we do it except say thank you? Except help us to live life like this. Let that be our thank you. Make our church this way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, or if you're new here, I, I keep forgetting to say this. Um, we're going to respond to this word, and then there's going to be an offering. If you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, don't give any money. 